This morning, uh, we're jumping back into our series, I Am. We've been examining the statements of Jesus over the last several weeks, and uh, so far we've covered Jesus' statements, uh, I am the bread of life. He also said, I am the light of the world. And then most recently, we talked about him being the door as well as the good shepherd. That was a, a good message for us to hear, to know we are in need of a shepherd. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, today, we're going to look at John chapter 11, and the title of today's message is, I am the resurrection and the life. There are a few of these I am statements that Jesus uses the word life in. The first one we looked at, the bread of life. Literally, the bread that gives life. He is that. And so today, we're going to look at his statement in John chapter 11 that Jesus makes. He makes to a woman named Martha. She was the sister of his friend Lazarus. And this account that we'll read today is about Lazarus rising from the dead, not of his own power, but of Jesus's power. In fact, we just sang about that this morning, that he's still calling out those who are dead and bringing them to life again. Amen. And he does that in us and we can do that with others. John chapter 11. Let's look at verse 17. It says this, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Everybody say four. four. He stunk. <laughs> Dead things stink. Four days. Verse 18, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Now, there's an interesting thing that used to happen in that culture. It still happens in some cultures today. And that is when someone is grieving, you grieve with them. In fact, they have professional mourners uh, that get invited to come and grieve with you. They see a tear fall. They start mourning as well. There are people in the community that knew Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And they want to come and console the sisters at the loss of their brother. Verse 20 says, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. I don't know if Mary just didn't get the memo. I don't know what the underlying effects are, but if you remember the story that is in Luke chapter 10 about Jesus visiting Mary and Martha at their house, Mary is the one who sits at Jesus' feet and Martha is mad she got stuck with all the housework. But now we see Martha is the one running to meet Jesus. Verse 21, it says, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I want us to take just a moment and think about the moments of our life where we have said something very similar to God. Lord, if you had just done X, this would not have happened. Lord, if you had just been here two days earlier, two weeks earlier, two years earlier, there are moments in our lives when God delays answering our prayer. This is not because of a lack of love. 
You have to understand this and wrap your mind around this. It is not because he does not love. In fact, you'll see that one of the only moments mentioned in scripture of Jesus as the physical man actually being so emotionally overwhelmed that he wept. He wept in this moment with Mary and Martha. Jesus did not have a lack of love. Neither does God when your answer is not coming as soon as you want it to. So don't believe the, uh, the lie from the enemy because God is sovereign. His plan is not like our plan. Can somebody shout amen? You know what amen means? It means so be it. Maybe we should shout something else like that's right. <laughs> because I want answers and I want them now, right? We all do. But his plan is unlike ours. It's greater than anything we could fathom, imagine, orchestrate. It's greater than all of those things. In fact, he tells us that in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 8. There's a beautiful passage there. And in verse 8 it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. This is not God being snooty or proud and being like, ha ha, I'm better than you. He's trying to get his people back then to understand that he doesn't work all the ways that they think he does in the timing they want him to, that his plan sometimes varies from our plans. Jesus was busy ministering and heard the news that Lazarus had died and went to go visit the sisters Martha continues in verse 22, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. I love verse 24 because Martha is essentially reciting back to him things that she most likely heard in his teaching. She says this, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on that last day, but I'm telling you he's, he's dead right now and I want him back. I mean, this is, this is just me paraphrasing, but reading some emotion into this. In verse 25, it says this, Jesus replied, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, Yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Verse 27, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So, in this moment of conversation between Martha and Jesus, Jesus is calling to question and asking, do you really believe I am who I've told you I am? And she resoundingly says, yes, I believe you're the Christ, the son of God who's coming into the world. Martha then, at the end of that conversation, she goes and gets her sister Mary and she brings her to Jesus Mary then says the identical words in the next passage that Martha has said. Jesus, if you had just been here, he would not have died. And then, as I said, John, in his retelling of the story, he, he humanizes Jesus. I remember during days in Christian school, they would ask like Bible quiz questions and 
and train us in the word of God, which is good, and I'm so thankful for it. If your kids are not in private school or Christian school, here's what I'm going to tell you. You have a responsibility as well, regardless, to teach them and raise them. It is not Mike and Hope's job to do that just on a Sunday morning for 40 minutes. Amen? It's important for us to engage in the faith of our little ones, kids and grandkids alike. But this is so important that we see that when Jesus wept, I remember calling that to memory in Bible quiz days, John 8, 35, it's the shortest verse in the Bible. I win the prize. Because it's just two words, Jesus wept. Some of you laugh because you were there with me or you know exactly what it was like. He was deeply moved in his spirit, and the Bible says he was greatly troubled. I want you to understand the emotion that Jesus is having in this moment, because Jesus is not grieving as one who has lost someone who he will never get back. He's grieving because he sees the brokenness of people he loves, and he's there present with them in that time. This is a different miracle than other miracles that took place. Jesus would walk, and that was their ministry uh, MO back then, uh, ride or walk, you know, and they would get to another city or another town, and he'd engage with someone. He met a woman at a well, told her everything about her life. She goes in and gets the city to come out and see this man. He sees a leper, and he heals the leper. He goes down, and he bends down when the woman is caught in adultery and starts to mark in All of these people were not personally known to Jesus the man. But Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were his friends. So when he saw them grieving, Mary and Martha, this got to him. He performed miracles and he healed people throughout his ministry to demonstrate his authority over sickness and over disease Because God is a miracle worker. He's always been a miracle worker. He's always been a healer. But this is personal to Jesus. Jesus, of course, then raises Lazarus from the dead inside of all who are there. And then verse 53 tells us something really important. It's at this moment that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. It says that they began to then plot to kill, capture and kill Jesus. To put him to death. It's because of this final sign that really got them riled up. And if you read that whole passage, we can't get into all the the verses today. But if you read that whole passage, you'll realize that there is something political at stake for the Jews in that day. They were worried that if Jesus was going to overthrow the government, there was insecurity and things were going to happen, and they did not receive him as the Messiah that he truly was. So let's talk about the resurrection, though, and what it meant to them in the context of their day and what it means for us today. I told you recently there are two groups in the Bible that are part of Judaism, the Jewish faith. Back then in those days, there were two We could use the idea of political parties. We have political parties today, two major ones here in America. Think of that separation um, being on opposite sides on a lot of issues with these two groups in Scripture. They were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 
The Sadducees believed in the first five books of the Bible and that that was it. That's all. And they clung to it with absolute certainty. That's it. That's all they're worried about. The Pharisees accepted other things. And here's the kicker. Believed in a bodily resurrection of the dead. But yet it's the Pharisees who go after Jesus after seeing him resurrect someone from the dead. And resurrection, obviously, it means to be brought back to life. I'm thankful for modern medicine and all the cool technology that they have to be able to resuscitate and revive, but no one on this planet has the power to resurrect the dead. Jesus, God alone, has this power. And why does he have this power? He has this power because he's the giver of all life. I don't mean to go off on a weird tangent or anything, but like he gives life to nature. The crickets outside, he gave them life. You and I, he gives life to you. We live and move and have our being because he gave it to us. Amen. So he's the giver of life and he has the power and authority. He's the only one who does to restore or bring back that life once it's lost. Similar to the other statements that Jesus communicates when he says, I am. He's not just talking about what he can do or what he can give, but he's talking about who he is. When Jesus says that he is the resurrection and the life, I think back to the story that we share around Easter every year and the hope that we have in Christ's resurrection. The truth is, if we had nothing more than a good man who died on a cross, we would have nothing. But we have everything because he died on a cross, was God's son, and resurrected from the grave. So he doesn't just give bread like Moses did in the wilderness, but he is the bread. He doesn't just reflect light from something. He is the actual source, the origin of light. And when he says this in John 11, it's really important for us to understand. He is saying that he is the resurrection and the life. He is all powerful. Then he demonstrates that to the people who were gathered at Lazarus' tomb. The Old Testament background, there's many connections, and I shared some of those with you in the last few messages. The bread of life, and I just referenced that, talking about Moses and the people wandering in the wilderness, and Jesus attributing that then and there with his, his um, audience that day. I want you to understand this. The Old Testament background on this specific section would come from Genesis chapters 1 through 3 about God being the originator of life. Most scholars believe that this is a reference that Jesus makes to the origination of giving life because he is the one who granted life and breathed his breath into mankind. He is the one who has the power to give it back once it's gone. So Adam, Adam, the first Adam, he chose sin. And when he chose sin, It ushered in death. It ushered in destruction. In fact, all of creation. Listen to me, church. I want you to hear me. God's original plan was not for you to die. 
had Adam and Eve not sinned, Adam would probably be preaching somewhere in some church today, sharing his testimony, being 4,000 years old. Okay? This is important for you to understand. And God doesn't like his plan to get messed up. So he is making sure that he has a way to restore and bring life again. In fact, Christ himself is called the second Adam. He's righteous and he's blameless in all of his ways. And he came to reverse the curse that the first Adam brought and then to bring life. And the Bible tells us this, that gives me so much joy, not just life, but life and it more abundantly. That he came to give us joy exceedingly, abundantly. That he's a generous God. That he's not just the healer of a cold, but he's a healer of cancer. Not just that he can bring life, which is such a miracle. Have you ever been in, an, in a room with your, with your spouse, with your wife, when she gave birth? That's amazing. Have you ever given birth? <laughs> then that's a lot of us in this room. If you've given birth, you know the miracle of a human being reproduced and being brought into this world. Jesus, as the second Adam, is the one who has reversed the curse. But here's the thing, he's reversed it only for those who accept him. Only for those who are willing to surrender to him. So where Adam brought death and decay, Jesus brings life and he restores all those who believe in him, he restores. I love the stories that I have heard, and I've talked about these before, about how when I was a kid, I wish I had what I considered then a greater testimony. I wish I had been the crackhead on the streets for 20 years with no teeth. You know what I mean? Like that's, I just thought that was kind of cool because I saw the change and the restoration, and it was marked but I've seen it in my own life and it was marked as well. God himself through Jesus Christ has made such a difference in my own life and in my own heart in ways that sometimes I'm surprised at how much he's changed me. And oh, but for the grace of God, we would all be way worse off than we are. So moving on from Lazarus' story of his physical resurrection to Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' resurrection is not just the end of a story. I've read hundreds probably at this point, my wife maybe thousands of bedtime stories to our kids. And it's really nice when there's a great ending to the story. But that's not what the resurrection of Jesus is. It's not just the end with a bow on it. It is truly the fulfillment of thousands of years of God's handiwork. Him moving a plan forward to see that it prevailed. And Jesus lifting off of this earth and going to heaven again to be with his father. And he's waiting on you and I. This gives me hope. I don't know if you realize this or not, but you are a spirit that lives inside of a body. I think a lot of times we miss that because we, well, let me not go there. <laughs> because we, we do the things we do in our body thinking that we, like here and now is all that counts. But the truth is, 
You are a spirit that lives inside of a body. God gave you a mind, willing emotions. You are an eternal being. That's what's so awesome. It's not just that a woman can give birth to a child after nine months. It's the fact that the God of all creation has put a new spirit on the earth. That's amazing when you consider it. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just what happens next or, or just to wrap up the story. It is truly the fulfillment of all of God's plan to save humanity. The truth is, without the resurrection, we have nothing to believe in. You might as well go and do some yoga and give some change to some needy people and just be a kind person. Like, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, and I'm going to show you something in a minute here in 1 Corinthians, how Paul relates that. But essentially, without Jesus' resurrection... Physical resurrection. We have nothing to believe in. As Christians, we believe in the resurrection not only of Jesus historically, but that all people will be resurrected. Did you know that you believe that? It's in the Bible. You say, wait a second, I thought it was just believers that get resurrected. Mm, You should read a little bit further. Because you are an eternal spirit, you are going to live... Essentially, you're going to be present somewhere in eternity. So there is a resurrection that Jesus talks about in John chapter 5. We won't go there today, but if you want to look that up later, you can. That he says all will be resurrected, some to eternal life and some to eternal damnation. So this is, this is something that's going to happen for all people. But after Jesus' bodily resurrection, he appears to Mary... Then he appears to his disciples. The Bible tells us that he's seen by hundreds of people over the course of 40 days. In those days, and even today, if someone were to be resurrected from the dead, they would probably set up a shrine. There would be guards around it. They would have a place of worship. They would do all of those different things if someone who was like holy or great or wonderful has died. And so I think back to the things that I've read about historians from the first century saying that there was no such a thing for Jesus. In fact, in first century historical books by, written by a man named Josephus, he actually says they still haven't found his body. Why is that? Did somebody steal his bones? Obviously, they would want to worship this man and set up a shrine. He's not here. He's risen. Amen? And he lives And because he lives, I love some of those old songs. And because he lives, you and I can live too. Because he lives, we can face today and tomorrow. Tomorrow's Monday, so you're going to need him. Okay, just giving you a heads up. Acts chapter 1 verse 3 says this, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Look at what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, or chapter 15, I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17 through 19. Paul is telling, he's giving instructions to the church at Corinth, and he says this, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is garbage, and you're still stuck in your sins. 
Verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, they've actually just, they're gone. They've perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people pitiful to think that Christ offers only hope for today and not for eternity. So if Jesus had truly only died and not resurrected, our sin debt would still remain unpaid and we would remain under sin's dominion. This is what Paul is telling the church, that they must believe in the resurrection of Jesus. If they don't, then there's, there's no reason to serve him. The blood of Jesus saves us, the Bible says, because he is alive. Death like sin doesn't belong here. It's something we weren't meant to experience. In 1 Corinthians 15, traveling down that passage, verse 20, it says this, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, reference to Adam, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ is first, then at his coming, those who belong to him. Verse 47 says this, The first man was from the earth. He was a man of dust. But the second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Jesus is alive. Amen. He is the resurrection and the life, not only raising a few people from the dead back then, but he's raised millions to new life since he's been gone. Because of faith in him and our belief in him. I want to share with you a few things to consider as I wrap up the message and the worship team can make their way up here. The first thing for you to consider is something I already hinted at and that is this. You are a spirit that lives inside of a body. Death is not our end. James chapter 4 verse 14 says this. It says, what is life? What is your life but a vapor or a mist that appears for a short time and then vanishes? Talking about human life here on earth in the here and now. I saw a news report uh, last night, was watching the news here in Jackson. There's a woman who's turning 100 years old. And um, they were having a big celebration for her and there's a spotlight on the news. I told my wife, by the time I get back in diapers, I want to be out of here. Okay? <laughs> Some of you got that. Some of you will get that later. But that's just how I feel. You are a spirit, though, that lives inside of a body. So for believers, Scripture says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when we leave our body behind here on the earth right now before Jesus returns, our spirit goes to heaven. But the Bible says, and if you look into the details of it, it actually says that in that last day that he will call us up to him. And it says that we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. 
The body you have now has imperfections, but the body you'll have then will have no imperfections. Somebody shout. (laughs) Amen. We'll live in glorified bodies with Christ forever. This is kind of on the side, but it's something that's important to think about. When you die, you don't become an angel. You don't get wings. You don't become a ghost. You can't go and... I don't think, according to how I see scripture, you can't go and visit your mom's old house as the ghost or whatever. You are present with the Lord if you're a believer and you're waiting for the final resurrection. That is amazing when you think about that. In fact, if you read in detail in Revelation, heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem, they're all described with physical dimensions and features. This isn't something for ghosts. This is something for you and I. So there will come a day and you say, Pastor, this feels a little bit weird. It's what we believe. It's what the word of God says that we will be able to enjoy his presence in eternity. But there's some bad news. The second thing to consider is this. We're agents of this resurrection power and this life here on the earth. We're supposed to be offering hope to those who live in darkness so that they will resurrect to new life in Christ and not stay dead in their sins and trespasses, but they will become part of the family of God. Mark and Paula last week, they challenged us with a great message. Jesus was sent so that he could come and send us Not every one of us is called to sell everything we have and move thousands of miles away. Not every one of us is called to learn a new language and new customs and give our life in a mission field far, far away. But every one of us is called to be an agent of life to those around us, to be an agent for God in the world around us, to bring hope into our office, into our workplace, into our family, to our neighbors. We are, we are representatives of that resurrection and that life. So my prayer has been this week as I've studied and prepared for this message that my life would reflect how dedicated I really am to the one who saved me, who loves me, who's changed me, and that others will be attracted to that. Would you stand with me today? If you haven't yet experienced the hope that we talked about today, today is your day to do that. It's a simple process. And here's the thing, this is the kicker. I would say, based on the faces I see in this room, that every one of us is a believer. So listen to me closely because this is how you share your faith with others. When you get to the final details and they say, how do I do this? What do I do? Literally, all they need to do is believe that he's the son of God, that he died and rose again for them and surrender their life to him. That's it. It's, it's, a, it's a lot easier said than done, of course. But that's it. Repenting of our sins after we say we believe in him, 
saying, we're turning away from that and I'm surrendering my life to you. That literally is the gospel's message or the method behind what we're talking about today. So for God's sake and for your own sake and for the world's sake, share the truth of the resurrection with someone this week. You don't have to share three points and five verses and all those things, but be the light in the world around you. Be the life in the world around you. Amen. Will you commit yourself to that today as we close? Lord, I pray over Celebrate Church. Lord, that this message has not fallen on deaf ears, but Lord, today, those two things would be of utmost importance. We would be thankful and grateful for the work you've done that redeems us, restores us, revives us, and resurrects us. And God, that secondly, we would be those agents of hope in the world around us. Lord, I pray that as we commit to you, let us see the fruit of our labor sooner rather than later.